Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's another Monday, so let's overreact some more here in the doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray, and welcome back into the doghouse, sponsored by Bet Online, where the game starts. Hey, they won a game a weekend ago. Now they've won a series. Is Bulldog Baseball back in business? Well, we'll talk uh, much more in depth about that. First, we want to get to some football talk because we're still coming off the end of uh, last Saturday's scrimmage and roaring into the finish of spring camp this week. They have practices Tuesday and Thursday, capped by the noon maroon-white game on Scott Field. By the way, the weather forecast looks pretty iffy for Thursday's practice, but then again, they scrimmaged in the rain this past Saturday. I have the notebook to prove it. So I don't think that'll be a problem. Saturday's forecast looks much more solid, so I don't expect a rain out like a year ago when Mike Leach's final spring game was called after a little bit of lightning and a whole lot of rain. Uh, How seriously the Bulldogs approach the spring game? Well, they've done everything seriously so far this spring, so I expect them to. But the plans specifically for how they're going to split up the team, the squad, will it be more a controlled scrimmage than a spring game, what they're going to do? We'll find that out during this week as we talk to Coach Arnett following the practices. For now, let's just say that uh, Saturday's scrimmage, well, yeah, it was wet. It was really wet out there. My notes uh, are not the better for it, but I was able to, when the pen stopped writing, still make enough of an imprint to put down a few numbers, such as 8 of 11 passing for Will Rogers for 57 yards and one touchdown. Now, the touchdown was on a jet sweep. I'm one of those old-fashioned types that think, call it a running play because all you're doing is flipping the ball, but officially it's a pass, so it still counted. And Jordan Mosley, with everybody, offense and defense, moving to one direction, Went against the flow, was able to get to the pylon, get the touchdown on the last play of the scrimmage. So the offense didn't go home totally empty-handed other than a couple of field goals in regular 11-on-11 and three touchdowns in pass scale, which means you're just going 7-on-7. And I didn't really count those. So I thought it was a solid scrimmage under the conditions. Uh, Zach Arnett admitted that he shut cut down on the scrimmage actual series 11 on 11 because a they were short on bodies on both offense and defense defense by a couple of injuries and absences uh, congratulations to Jaden Crumity on your nuptials over the weekend I asked Arnett what Jolie Dunn might have thought of that and Zach got a good laugh out of it saying well if you had an all-american who'd done everything Jaden Crumity had done and is a senior and knows what he's doing he'd probably give him the weekend off to which I laugh because Jolie Dunn hated spring football for the most part, but is still curious to wonder what he would have said at that point now. Uh, speaking of curious, let's go ahead and knock this out. Our sponsor, Bet Online. Well, college basketball is over, but Bet Online is still very much in business because you have the uh, professional boys about to start their playoffs. Of course, Major League Baseball is in full fly. NASCAR has been off and running for a couple of weeks. Uh, Masters over the weekend. No, I didn't get to watch any of it. I was um, heading down to Jones County for a weekend with family. Regardless, Bet Online is there for you no matter who's at home. You'll always find the latest odds, bracket contests, uh, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. You can get analysis of every play, prop, and point there. Updated odds for live games right through the finals of all the major sports and in college sports as well. So BetOnline is your headquarters 
for the spring season and the summer season still ahead, and of course the golf season year-round. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLEAVE, all capitals, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So, Mississippi State, spring football. Uh, yes, we knew it was going to be wet there, and really it didn't start raining that much until probably about an hour left in the proceedings. For whatever it's worth, I want to point something out. Zach Arnett and staff... When they scrimmage, they do it on the artificial field next to the SEAL complex. Now, Mike Leach, and I'm not meaning this as a criticism, just simply a comment on the difference going on, he preferred when they scrimmaged in the practice fields to use the grass fields in the middle, uh, partly because there was the overview from the slope and more space to move around end to end and get the trailers with the scissors trucks and the camera angles there. Zach Arnett and staff prefer doing it under the control conditions of the plastic field. The markings are much easier, especially in wet weather. Footing was good, and the footing was certainly good for the defensive team because for all intents and purposes, the defense dominated. Even though they were short, as I mentioned, Jaden Crumity was out. The defensive line was down a couple more players, and Nathan Pickering is still out for undisclosed reasons, but is expected to be back, if not for this week, then certainly for fall camp. A couple of the guys were held out for various injury reasons, and I can tell you this, Jack Harris would have much preferred to be working out than for about 90 minutes he is on the grass field dragging a 50-pound metal plate end to end to end to end. Yeah, when you're doing that, you'd rather be beating up on teammates than doing it, but that's part of his rehab. And uh, Simeon Price was doing the same thing for the offensive team. Some guys were held out. Uh, Jacovius Marks got in a few Pascal snaps there, like I said, the 7-on-7, but didn't carry the ball any. So you didn't need to see what he's going to do. Tulu Griffin was held out, as well as Xavier Thomas. Again, two more guys that you really don't need to scrimmage a whole lot, if at all, this point. Now, all of them did participate in the pre-scrimmage practices. Uh, Tulu and Xavier both returning kicks. I'll write more about this. Uh, in a notebook in a week to come. But it was fascinating to see just how intense Zach Arnett was about the kickoff return game. And you and I both know, kickoff returns are increasingly rare in college football, not just by rules, which are trying to eliminate it, but kickers just, on the whole, prefer to boot it out of range and not risk a return. But still, he had his guys going full blast there. And I'm not just talking the return guys. And then he chewed out Tulu one time saying, what are you seeing? Where are you going on this play? He jumped on the blockers. Here's how you set your feet if you want to shield this direction or that direction. He jumped on the oncoming intended tacklers, even though tackling wasn't allowed, but you get the idea about the angles they took. He was as wrapped up in this as any full-time special teams coach we've had at State that I've seen in years. He takes this very seriously, even though it looks like increasingly a minor part of the game. I don't think there's anything too minor for Zach Arnett to pay attention to at this point. Plus, it allowed the defense to go do their thing with their former coordinator paying attention to the specialist at that point. Speaking of specialist, not a good day for the place kickers. Uh, Nicholas Barmira. Had his first attempt from 48 yards blocked, but it didn't matter as blocked. It had no prayer at all. It was so low and wide to the left. Came back, cleared the line with the next one, way off to the left. 
Given a second chance later, uh, he and Jordan Kennedy both hit from 48 yards, but uh, right now, and again, wet weather, all that. Uh, place kicking, maybe we'll get more this week to judge by, but uh, I'm going to call that a very much work in progress and question mark going into summer of just how good these transfer kickers are going to be. So just a little minor point. And maybe again, it was just one bad day. You really have to be careful calling that because the rest of the practice time, remember, that we're only limited to 20 minutes of watching work. So we don't get to see everything. Scrimmages, though, we've had a chance to watch those. And that's a couple of question marks come up. One thing that's not going to be a question mark to me is the tight end use. Oh my gosh. I noted it. And I didn't write it for today's story, but it'll be included. But on three consecutive plays uh, with just offense versus air, the tight ends lined up at three different positions. First as a true H-back, not just behind the tackle, but a little offset and able to go in motion. Next snap, and that was over on the left side of the line. Next play, he's basically an extra right tackle lined up, hand on the ground, ready for a run play. And the very next play, he takes a couple of steps outside. In fact, he's outside the first slot receiver. So three snaps, three very different uses of the tight ends in these formations. Just watching how Kevin Barbet wants to utilize these people. Mike Schmidt is the uh, tight ends coach as well. And of course, during the scrimmage, we saw some uh, double tight end stacks um, with a big guy lined up on the line of scrimmage and Antonio Harmon, the converted wide receiver, right behind him. You know, we saw that formation a little bit in Mike Leach's first year, but generally with a running back in the, quote, tight end position. Now it's two true tight ends doing that sort of thing as extra blocking, but not always because then it may well just be a deception because the play's going the other way. Regardless, it is worth your time to watch what the tight ends are doing when you come to the spring game on Saturday. Uh, other things that stood out, again, this is unofficial, and they did cut some series short, but by my count, and if, uh, yeah, I didn't totally rein this out, there were 30 run plays in the full 11-on-11. 11 11. Uh, two or three of those were quarterback scrambles, but one or two of them were called keepers as well, so they still count as run plays, against just 22 passes thrown by the four quarterbacks. Even though series totals were equal, there were more running plays than there were pass plays during the scrimmage. Now, it's quite likely I could read too much into that because they certainly want to look at uh, Jeffrey Pittman, Seth Davis, and other backs. And by the way, Pittman is a bull and Davis is a burner. Uh, that's, that's a good, talented mix back there. You think maybe you want to flash back to the Veer days where you've got a big back and a small back. The state's not going to do that. They're going to stick in the st- single back offensive style. But you see the opportunities they have to mix and match with the running backs, just watching how they do it, whether they're lined up in an eye formation, a pistol formation, whatever they've done so far. It's fascinating to watch. And on the whole, the running backs average by, again, my totally unofficial accounting, about four yards per carry. Now, that's not the first team. The first team backs with Jaquavius Marks and Simeon Price out. The other guys trying to run against the first defense as patched together as it was, missing players, still got stuffed. There was one goal line series where first and goal at the five-yard line, the series died at the half-yard line. Now, as I noted, the day ended 
on a touchdown in goal line because after three running plays, all between the tackles, one on a handoff, one on a pitch, another handoff, they ran the jet sweep that Jordan Mosley was able to get around the corner going the other way and score it, technically a pass. But again, it showed that uh, this defense is pretty feisty, even shorthanded against the ground game. More so, it showed the fact that Mississippi State is serious about really getting that ground game going, and that includes the quarterback ground game. Will Rogers carried once on purpose. I think he had a chance in goal line to get there. Whether he had broken the plane or not, we'll never know, because the play was whistled dead by Arnett before he got into true contact. Not to protect the quarterback, he saw something in the blocking on the offensive line he didn't like, and he basically kind of self-penalized the offense, saying, no, you got to start over because you didn't execute that correctly. So we'll never know if he would have scored. And by the way, there was a running back out in a position to be pitched to as well. So uh, I, hope I'm not, I hope I'm not giving away too many clues about what the run game is going to do, but you saw the variety there. Mike Wright, he ran once out of necessity on a high snap that he was able to leap up there, pull down, take off and get to the edge and make a nice little gainer. Then he ran intentionally on another play, and if they hadn't whistled it dead, he had a chance to go down the sideline for at least 20 yards, possibly even a 40-yard touchdown run. So he's a legit factor in the offense this season. He will be used. Talking to a staff member during the practices, he made the comment, said, you know, you you just can't go into a season with only Will Rogers, as experienced quarterback, getting Mike Wright not just for the play-calling options, but the pure peace of mind it gives this offensive staff if something should happen, if Rodgers having a bad day, if he gets dinged up and needs to come out, they're comfortable putting Mike Wright under center or, as it may be, in the shotgun formation to operate there. So I like what the run game did. Uh, of course, a couple of receivers, as I mentioned, held out. Uh, Tulu, Zavian, and others didn't participate. Uh, just Justin Robinson didn't scrimmage either. So most of the passes were thrown to second, third-ranked receivers when they did. That may have factored into the fewer number of passes thrown as well. Defensively, boy, they're active. Uh, They missed some personnel. Uh, Had they been full strength, it probably would have been a complete shutout there when you only have Nate Watson among your regular linebackers playing. uh, Of course, Jet Johnson's been sitting out this spring to recover. That's expected. But still... You like what you see from some of these guys. The backups got plenty of action. I think the safeties are improving. I'm not saying they're good yet, uh, SEC good, but they are improving. Cornerback play was hard to judge by the number of passes and the wet weather conditions. I'll just say they were active. This defense was aggressive. They were active, and they seemed to be having fun. Uh, That's something I want to bring up at spring ball, too. Again, I have to be so careful sometimes phrasing these things because it comes across as criticism of the previous regime. It's not. I don't mean that. But there's an energy, a lively list to the practices I've witnessed under Arnett and staff that really wasn't so much there. It was more technical, more kind of cold-blooded. Previously, uh, Mike Leach didn't mind his team having fun. They just seemed to approach it much more, uh, again, mechanically, whereas while they're still very much trying to execute 
run the plays. And by the way, the coordinators had full call of it. This was not a scrimmage where the ball was set here. Okay, you're starting here. And on second down, you're going to do this, third down, this. No, they called it like regular series. The quarterbacks also had their own freedom to call as well. So I like what I've seen so far. Uh, Again, the weather kind of limited things. But as Zach Arnett called it, he said, hey, football weather. And it was a great test of guys who wanted to be out there because after about 45 minutes of being wet and cold, you find out who really wants to practice, especially at the end of a spring camp. Enough guys still wanted to practice. Now, film will probably showed a few who maybe weren't so enthusiastic. They're hearing all about it today, I will guarantee you, from their coaching staff. And uh, there'll be some... Um, uh, let's just say, encouragement involved in how they approach the remaining practices of this camp. So, you know, generally, enjoyed what I saw. Uh, didn't enjoy getting soaked, but, uh, you know, if the players can do it, why can't us soft and soggy little media? And, in fact, there were only three of us covering the practice, in fact, and I was able to get in a little fun shot at our friend Stefan from the Clarion Ledger. Uh, we finished up the interview, and I said, Coach, what's your opinion on media who bring an umbrella to a scrimmage? Because there's Steph with his golf umbrella, and uh, we, he knows he's being talked about, where myself and PJ, we soaked it out. Boy, we us old dogs, we just toughed it out there. But uh, Zach enjoyed the laugh, and then because Steph was able to deflect it, started talking master scores, which um, Zach said don't tell him who was in the lead because he wanted to watch the replay himself. So we had a little fun there as well as media. So again, practice Tuesday and Thursday. We'll get the full availability sometime later today of how much we're going to be able to watch. But then spring game, open to all, noon on Scott Field. First and only appearance in the stadium of this spring. All right, back to Bulldog Baseball. Or is Bulldog Baseball back as we ask to begin this show? Well, taking a series from Alabama was an absolute must if there's going to be any hope to extend this season into the postseason or even to make it a competitive season the rest of the way. You still look at the missed shots Thursday night against South Carolina, opening night at Kentucky, and think where they could be. Well, right now, the bottom line, before I start sounding enthusiastic, let's be straight about the bottom line. Mississippi State is still tied for 12th place in the SEC even with Georgia, who had a surprisingly good weekend at Kentucky's expense and crawled out of the cellar themselves. Both Bulldog teams are only one game up on 14th place Ole Miss, which uh, did take one from Arkansas to get off the Shania themselves, but still they're sitting back there with two wins overall. But I'll say this too, looking at the standings, State is one more winning weekend from breaking into the top 10. That's just how much things can change still here in mid-April. Now, soon enough, the standings start firming up, fossilizing in effect, where unless you pull off a sweep and another team gets swept, you're not going to have major changes up and down the ladder. So you still got to make your moves right now because it's still possible to make some jumps. But I'll say this, if the Bulldogs come out at the first half of the season 5-10, and 10, well, A, that means they've kept their winning streak against Ole Miss going, and um, emotionally that's good. Practically speaking, 5-10 and 10 is still not good by much any measure, but it is infinitely better than where the dog stood just two weeks ago. When we were, I say we, uh, quite a few of us were just about riding off the season. Some not, 
Uh, thank, thank goodness for the faithful among us. But it was getting really frustrating, not just that they were losing, but how the Bulldogs were losing. Um, defense, pitching, big scores, run rules, those things. But they played the game they needed to play on Saturday and were able to take the series at Tuscaloosa. They took a lead, lost the lead, largely self-inflicted because, again, walks, hit batsmen, fielding errors. My goodness, the fielding errors just... It's so frustrating to watch these guys because the plays were relatively routine each time, which signals to me guys are just trying too hard. They feel the tension, they feel the pressure, and they're just trying a little too hard to make relatively routine plays in the field. Well, routine for college ball players, not for you and me, but for them, yeah, those are plays they're supposed to make. They didn't. But the Bulldogs come back. Ross Highfield, goodness. I mentioned to Kathy just as he got up, said, this is a guy who can change the game. He hasn't looked good so far, but all he needs is that one swing and things can change. Well, boom. All of a sudden, the ball travels over the second fence in center field at Tuscaloosa. Yes, Alabama is a hitter's park. It's a home run hitter's park. But Mississippi State walked in there and outslugged the tide and came away with a series win. Yes, the game two was ugly and got away in the second inning entirely from Gerangelo Sanja which shows again that as talented as he is, and he is very talented, you still got to throw strikes. Walks and hits batsmen. They just so come back to be the curse of this team, even more than the defense. Walks and hit batsmen. The statistics are absurd. I could start reciting them, the specific numbers. And by the way, I think that uh, after four SEC series, that's good enough to use only conference statistics instead of just overall season stats, which most will do. Um, More so once you get through five series, but I think four is fair enough at this point. And when you're still rock bottom in the SEC in ERA, when you're giving up the most runs, when, oh, by the way, you're only second worst in fielding. That's the surprise there. State is not the worst defensive league only play. That's Tennessee. But still, the numbers are very bad and increasingly, to my eye, just mental. You don't explain some of the plays State didn't make, even in their wins, by saying there's anything technical about it. It's more in the heads because they're trying hard. They know that they're struggling. And I don't know how to tell a guy to relax. I, I honest to goodness, don't. Maybe you just quit bothering at this point. Just say, go out there, play the game. You know, relax if you can. Otherwise, just do what you can. Because by now, if they don't know how to loosen up and just play ball, well, they're not going to learn how or remember how uh, mid-season with the, all the pressure on. Now, the good news is, by taking the series, Mississippi State is number 30 in the latest NCAA RPI. That's right. In fact, we talked last week and going into the series that State had a pretty solid RPI in the 40s already after just winning one game to South Carolina. Now, this says more about the strength of the SEC than it does Mississippi State. I want to be clear about that. But still, to make a jump all the way to 30, if you finish the season with a 30 RPI, you're definitely in NCAA tournament selection range. Now, to do that, of course, State's got to win a lot of games between now and then because they're going to keep playing power opponents, keep playing teams ranked in the top 10, 20, 30, 40. 
but at least now you're going into the middle of the season having put yourself in position to build upon this. And by the way, that's better than four SEC teams at this point. State had been down there, 11th, 12th, 13th in RPI. Now they're better than four teams. Uh, Ole Miss, by the way, has an RPI of 40 after taking their one game from Arkansas. And um, as we've noted, sometimes your RPI is more about who you played, whether you won or not. But State taking two on the road against a solid Alabama team trumps Ole Miss winning one at home against an even better Arkansas team in the RPI standings at least. So what can we generally summarize this point? Well, nothing's particularly changed. Uh, Offense is generally good on the averages, and they're not striking out a lot. Now, where they've fallen off pace in recent games is scoring. They're dropping pretty rapidly into the second half of the league in both runs and RBI. And by the way, remember when State was stealing bases all over non-conference teams? Yeah, that's gone. And I mean just about gone entirely. In 12 league games so far, they've only stolen four bases and only tried three other times. So Mississippi State is not running anymore. Some of that naturally is a function of who is on base when, because not all these dogs, obviously, are good base runners. Uh, Where you want to get guys like Kellum Clark and others on the base, well, maybe they're not, and when they are, they're not in steel situations. But related to that, it may be a stretch to relate it, but I think you can make the connection to here about State not running on the base pass, is State is still grounding into way too many double plays. So they're not starting runners. Uh, That's leaving them vulnerable to twin killings, particularly with one out, which are inning killers as well. Now, State has been able to score some runs by getting loaded up with with only either zero outs or one out, but you're still wasting. And as we talked about last week, they finally moved into the negative as far as left on base versus run scored. But it's closer than it was a year ago, so you see the progress there. Where you don't see the progress remains the pitching, at least statistically. Again, this is conference-only statistics, but they're dead last in earn run average at 11.20. Repeat, 11.20, not 1.2 or 1.1, 11.20 ERA. That's just about unthinkable, and yet it's better than it was a week ago. Go figure there, so to speak. Uh, they're last in the average allowed, or next to last, I believe, a 311. I think Auburn may be right behind in that regard, too. And yeah, they're still piling up the strikeouts. And interestingly to me, they have the most called strikeouts of any SEC team. But the more I consider that, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. Because as you know, State walks so many batters, hits so many batters, that I think quite often on a 2-2, 3-2 count up there, batters think the odds are really good in my favor that they're going to throw a ball or plunk me. So that gives State a chance to get a called K if you do put one in the zone, if the batter's thinking that way. So, so you see what I'm implying there, that opponents feel so confident about getting on base via the walk, uh, the plunking, or just hitting the baseball themselves, that it's allowing them to get more called Ks than normal. And State is certainly not making a living off call strikeouts either. Uh, only Auburn has issued more walks and nobody has given up more home runs. Now that's troubling too. In fact, and, and, and this is a stat that opened my eye this morning. 
in SEC play, Mississippi State has allowed more home runs than doubles. Ponder that a moment. They've given up more home runs, 29, in these dozen SEC games than they've given up doubles, 22. That number should be inverted. You should always give up more doubles than home runs, but Mississippi State is giving up the long ball. Yes, Alabama, again, is a hitter's park. But <laughs> I just go, and, uh, okay, here's congratulations to this. They cut down on the first pitch of a game, first pitch of a series home runs at last, but they're still giving up the long balls, and that's what kept Alabama in it and allowed them, of course, to win the second game as well. Wild pitches hit batsmen we've talked about. So the pitching, I still go back to something Coach Lamonis said after the South Carolina series, and he said it on radio and not to the media directly, but he used the word fancy as far as the pitching staff trying to be too fancy and throwing their strikes when they get ahead in counts. And in his frustration, he said he would rather you let a guy hit it to the moon than walk a guy. Now, there's some exaggeration involved there, but you see the frustration coming out. What that implies for Coach Scott Foxhall's future, well, you can leave that up to anybody's guess at this point. But here's the thing about this weekend now. After playing consecutive series, which started on Thursday, you're back to a normal schedule Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you do your rotation? I don't think you put Landon Gartman up any earlier than Saturday. You pitched last Saturday through a lot of pitches. I think you keep him in that game two role because you don't want to short him a day after that work. Uh, did Senya throw enough pitches that maybe you don't want to start the series with him and leave, because then you'd have to take him out of the game two role, which would now go to uh, Gartman and put him on Sunday. Or do you still start him? I think you have to go with Cade Smith on Thursday, uh, not Thursday night, this Friday night. And then what does that do with Nate Dome? I commented to Kathy too, that after the way, the good thing about getting blown out in the game two at Alabama was Nate Dome didn't have to be used. So had, you had both your guns, your best combination of Gartman and Dome ready to go. And indeed it did play out that way with a little help, obviously from Casey Hunt. But if you get a lead on Friday, in game one against Ole Miss, I don't hold Dome back unless I'm really, really, really confident that Nixon is fully ready to come out there and close the game down. No, I use Dome at the first opportunity to win a game because, to me, Friday is going to be so critical to this series. You know, Pat McMahon always had the philosophy that your biggest game was the game two of any series. I think the way this was shaking up, that if Mississippi State can come out and win on Friday and make a statement like that, and certainly it'll bring the crowd in on Saturday for Super Saturday with the spring football, the concert, other things going on, I think you just throw your guns out there. You don't turn down any chance to pitch what you have the very best and play everything to win game one and then let the rest of the series play out from there because you put the other team on their heels if you do take the victory. Later in the week, uh, Mike Nemeth, of course, will have a full breakdown scouting comparison of Mississippi State and Ole Miss. I just looked at some of the SEC stats. Um, Ole Miss runs the bases more often, not a ton, but more often that you've got to be concerned because Mississippi State is giving up so many steals this year. But they strike out a lot more than the Bulldogs do. 
you know, run that through your head too, that here's a team that really fans more. Uh, Pitching-wise, it's close. I mean, yes, State's very bad in a whole lot of stats, but the Rebel staff ain't good in almost any of those positions either. So uh, maybe there's a little home field advantage or maybe there's a little home field pressure. I don't know. Only time will tell by how Foxhall rotates his guys, how he sets up his release staff and goes with it. But the differences in the pitching right now are not so glaring that you think that Mississippi State is behind the curve so much. This may, this could be a pretty comparable pitching weekend. Offensively, State has the edge in several areas, including, believe it or not, home runs. After the last decade or so, who would think that, that the Bulldogs are better sluggers than the Rebels? Well, at least that's been true in SEC play. Um, maybe it changes here in um, rivalry weekend. And then, of course, you know, the weather will be a factor. We won't know until Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what the weather is doing. Chances right now looks like it's going to be wet on Thursday for a football practice. Well, you know, we'll struggle through that as well, all for you fans. Chance of rain on Friday, but not so bad as to interfere, I think, with the start of the game. Saturday looks okay, and Sunday looks fine. Now, the tendency has always been that these six, seven-day forecasts tend to blow through a little faster than predicted. If that's the case, then we're probably going to have a good weather weekend for baseball all the way through. And Mississippi State needs the good weather because it needs a good turnout for this. This is the pivotal point of the season. Not just because it's a rivalry. That still matters, and that'll be very much a story, probably more so on the other end because you've got a team coming in that hasn't won a series since a certain guy named Mangum uh, enrolled at Mississippi State, and that's very much on their minds. But I think that pressure will also be reminded of these current dogs, only three of which really have that much experience in the rivalry and how things play out. Uh, certainly transfers of this year don't know anything about it, but you're going to have to learn fast on the job. But it's not this, and Ole Miss has had a lot of turnover as well. You consider how many guys they lost off their national championship team. Yes, TV will have a little fun with the fact that the last two national champions are here battling to avoid the seller in the SEC in 2023. Well, let them. I mean, both these programs have earned the accolades in the past, and they earn any criticism that they're receiving this season. That just comes with the territory. They wouldn't criticize if the programs weren't expected to be good. The fact that they're struggling just adds to the storyline. And we'll have a lot more to say about that going into the weekend as well. But for right now, I think we've just about covered enough bases, so to speak, as far as both spring football and Bulldog baseball as they prepare for the Arch Rivalry Series, the fifth series of the weekend, and a swing point for the season because if they come out of this weekend again with five SEC wins, like I said, it's not good, but it's infinitely better than they were, and it does put you on track to make the SEC tournament. And again, it will also boost your RPI as well. So a season that was given up for dead just two weekends ago, there are signs of life, but they've got to keep building on it this coming weekend. Of course, as baseball hits midseason, spring football wraps it up this week. We'll be reporting from practice Tuesday and Thursday as well, and you'll get to watch the same show we do on Saturday from Scott Field. So make your plans. Also coming up this week, we have a planned talk with Mike Ritchie from the Bulldog Club about season ticket sales for football, how that's going with the renewals, 
and what's taking place this summer. We're trying to hook up with some other staff about what's going on from Humphrey Coliseum and how that progress continued. By the way, when I drove in Saturday for the football scrimmage, yeah, even though it was raining at the time, there were workers busy at the hump because so much work is being done in the interior right now. That project is not slowing down. Of course, you also saw that the Road Dog Tour schedule was announced a couple of days ago for appearances both the second half of May, I'm sorry, April and on into May. Hopefully we can hook up with Coach Arnett and Zach Selman during one of those trips as well, try to tag along. In fact, we'll see how that plays out, try to pull all the strings we can. But right now, the only strings we have is the one that says it's time to um, pull this uh, episode of the Doghouse to a halt. Remember, you're in the Doghouse, sponsored by Bet Online, And if you like what you've been hearing, give us a like on Apple Podcasts. How about it? That's the Doghouse. This is your host, David Murray. And as always, good to talk to you. Hopefully, we have some really good news to overreact to after this coming weekend. Until then, go dogs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.